Listener Production. Hello. In this briefing, Jan Fran gets her economics on. She's going deep on the shake-up at the Reserve Bank, which was announced last week. It's the first big review of the RBA in 40 years. And it's come under a lot of scrutiny since last year when Philip Lowe started jacking up interest rates after telling people they would stay low for three years. So Jan Fram will interview a longtime Reserve Bank insider, Jonathan Kearns, who was a very senior executive until just a few months ago when he walked away. He'll tell us what he really thinks about the bank that sets our interest rates. What I think it does do is it reduces the chance that the Reserve Bank makes a policy error. Yeah, and so much more in that interview with Jan Fran and Jonathan Kearns from the RBA. That is our briefing right after today's big headlines. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here with you. It is Monday, April the 24th. A decision on a state funeral for Australian comedian Barry Humphreys will be announced in coming days. The 89-year-old comedian and actor died on Saturday following complications from hip surgery. Barry Humphreys, through his 89 years, made an enormous contribution to Australia and he also showcased that uniquely Australian sense of humour to the world. That's Anthony Albanese there. The Victorian government is in talks with his family now to find the best way to honour his legacy. He was very much best known for playing Dame Edna Everidge, as well as Sir Les Patterson and Sandy Stone. That's a character that I'd forgotten about until I watched all of those tribute videos. Um, certainly King Charles is uh, a huge fan of Barry Humphreys. In particular, Dame Edna Everidge did a lot of stuff with the royals over the years. King Charles is even said to have called Humphreys in his final days. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how he is um, recognised in his hometown of Melbourne. Um, He said in 2006 that the chief obituarist at the Melbourne Morning Paper takes a dim view of me and also the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. They actually changed um, the name of their main award, the Barry, because of comments he made about transgender people a few years ago. So... His relationship with the comedy festival he helped found and was much loved by for many years was also tested a little bit. And Australia's Defence Force will get its biggest overhaul in 40 years. So there's a Defence Strategic Review that will be released today uh, with the Albanese government committing to an increase in overall defence spending. There'll be a boost to long-range missiles and the purchase of more army landing crafts. But there will be some cuts to some projects, um, including new army vehicles and self-propelled howitzers. Yeah, reading between the lines, I wonder what it will say or won't say about our relationship with China and Mm. uh, the the growing threats in our region and how we're going to respond to that. Yeah, I know I sound like a hippie when I talk about this, but I really do not like the idea (laughs) of an arms race and just spending more and more of our money on defence and making China more and more agitated with no perceivable gain. From July 1, it's going to be easier for New Zealanders to become Aussie citizens. These changes are historic. They're the biggest in a generation and they will make an enormous difference to the lives of so many people making Australia home. 
That's New Zealand PM Chris Hipkins there after that huge announcement over the weekend. So this means Kiwis can apply for citizenship as long as they've lived in Australia for four years or more and they arrived after 2001. They'll also no longer need to apply for permanent residency first to be eligible. So cutting a huge amount of red tape there. Uh, children born in Australia from New Zealand parents get automatic citizenship as long as they meet certain criteria. This is expected to affect up to 350,000 New Zealanders currently living in Australia. A lot of peace of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, I was hearing a really interesting debate on the radio this morning about whether New Zealand and Australia should become the same country and the fact our constitution (laughs) leaves that a bit open. And the conclusion of this conversation, which I kind of agreed with, was, look, most of the barriers between us are down anyway, but we still get to be two separate countries with two separate identities and, you know, make twice as much noise on the world stage. So we may as well stay separate. Yeah, not a bad idea. I'd like to hear more about that. I'm, <laughs> I'm very interested in this. Those changes you just talked about, um, 350,000 Kiwis, that's quite a lot when you consider New Zealand has a population of 5 million. So these changes will directly affect a big proportion of Kiwis and actually change the possibility for every Kiwi citizen. And the first ever Australian Live Golf Tournament has finished up in Adelaide with America's Taylor Gooch taking out the win. Winning on any tour is hard. Uh, Winning on this type of golf course in front of this type of a crowd is is not easy. And uh, there was, you know, a couple moments there where it got shaky. On seven there, the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tournament has been pretty controversial. It's been accused of sport washing the country. Live golfers are not allowed to participate in the PGA Tour, although I don't think Taylor Gooch cares too much. He's just pocketed $4 million. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of this over the weekend. It made me laugh so hard. Oh, there, really? It's kind of like golf for bogans. Oh. It is this weird hybrid of a game that you're just not used to seeing that kind of crazy wild behaviour at and it's like they've transplanted the crowd from Bathurst. <laughs> There's one really? hole. It's called the water hole and if you get a, get it in, you get pelted as the golfer. You get pelted with cups of beer. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, it's just wild. Like people in the crowd were taking their shirts off. They were doing shoeys. Yeah. Unbelievable. So golf is not that stale old man sport anymore when it comes to the live? Not at all. And I know there has been a huge amount of controversy over this, but it's opened it to a whole new um, group of spectators who I'm sure they play golf Mm. on weekends and probably didn't feel like they were included in the old model. Mm, Yeah, interesting. All right. And to our final story, Twitter has flipped again on its verification policy. This is surprising. It's restored the blue tick free of charge. Now, this whole point was they were charging money for the blue tick. What is going on? Oh, I'm over this. I'm just over this. And the fact that he gave free verification to a few celebrities, I think Stephen King was one of them. LeBron James was another one who didn't have to pay. So it was this weird elitist system anyway. But yeah, eight bucks a month, I think it started at to pay for your blue tick. A lot of celebrities weren't paying for it. And now he's just tipped that, well, I say he, Elon Musk, but look, it's Twitter, uh, has has flipped that on its head and said, hey, no, guys, for celebrities over a million followers, we're going to make it free again. Ah. Please, I'm off it. I'm just off it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've just checked. My blue tick 
is gone. <laughs> okay. Tragic. I haven't been on Twitter since this whole thing started, so <laughs> I, I don't know whether my blue tick's there or not, but I, yeah, I don't care anymore. All right, Jan Friend is going deep on the RBA in just a moment. probably heard about the Reserve Bank more in the last year than you have in the last 10 years. And we all know why. The Reserve Bank has hiked interest rates for the first time in 11 and a half years. This is the third meeting in a row where we've seen a rate hike. Six in a row, taking official rates from just 0.1% in May to 2.6% today. Australians have been whacked with a record 10th consecutive rate rise, hitting already cash-strapped families for six. Yes. 10 consecutive rate hikes. So this has taken the cash rate, that's the base figure that sets interest rates, from 0.1% to 3.6%. Put simply, that means higher mortgage repayments. And that means stress. Month after month, you just get a letter from the bank and I've got unopened letters on my desk and I don't want to open them because I don't know what what our next repayment is going to be. If these stories sound familiar to you, you might want to consider this. That racing heart, the sweaty palms, the nervous conversations that you have to have with your spouse about what to spend on the kids, that holiday that you can definitely no longer take, the general anxiety that you might be feeling in your day-to-day life, all of that is a direct result of decisions made in a boardroom in one building in Martin Place, in Sydney. Yeah, the Reserve Bank. So what the hell goes on in that room? How do these decisions get made? And now that a review has been handed down, what, if anything, will change? We're going to take you inside the Reserve Bank with economist Jonathan Kearns. He spent three decades working in that organisation in several senior roles. He only just left in February, and that means that he was still at the bank when the review was being conducted and was actually one of the people consulted for it. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. The Reserve Bank is probably an institution that a lot of people might not have even thought about too much prior to 2021, and suddenly it's this very ubiquitous force in our lives. Can we just start with the very basics? What does the Reserve Bank do exactly? Well, the Reserve Bank actually does a lot of things, but the thing that everyone really knows about it for and thinks about it is it sets interest rates. It sets interest rates so that to try and control inflation, so that inflation doesn't get too high, and to try to make sure that we keep unemployment at as low a rate as possible. So it's, it's balancing those two objectives. And when you say it sets interest rates, because the Reserve Bank, it's a building in Martin Place in Sydney, yep. mm-hmm. bang in the middle of the CBD, big building, bustling, people in, people out, there's levels. What are all these people doing? There are lots of different parts to the Reserve Bank operation. So, you know, it does a lot of things that you don't really think about. So the the currency, the banknotes that you have in your wallet, or at least some people have in their wallet, they're distributed and manufactured by the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank also runs the payment system. So when you go into a bank and you pay with your Westpac credit card and the bank has a Commonwealth Bank machine there, the the money is transferring through the Reserve Bank. So the Reserve Bank's the centre of the payments system. But the other part that it does is 
It determines the interest rate that one bank borrows from another bank. So they're borrowing from one another overnight to make sure they've each got enough money in their account because they each have an account at the Reserve Bank. That interest rate that is set by the Reserve Bank ends up influencing all other interest rates in the economy, including the interest rates that we all pay on our mortgages. And so that's how the Reserve Bank is trying to influence how much activity is going on in the economy. If there's too much activity in the economy, so people are spending too much money, then everyone's going into the shop trying to buy stuff and that tends to push up prices. And then you get inflation and inflation can be bad for the economy. So the Reserve Bank has to increase interest rates a little bit to try and dampen that down. And they've done that 10 times since April of 2021. Mm -hmm. Just talk me through how these decisions are made because they happen in a boardroom. Like, is there just a packet of Arnott's biscuits and some tea there? (laughs) And then everybody says, all right, what's the decision going to be today? How does it actually work? Well, so there's a big process and, you know, you can imagine there are at the Reserve Bank, there are a couple of hundred people who are all contributing to this decision. So there's a lot of analysis that's gone on and and preceding each meeting, there'll be weeks and weeks of work and lots of internal meetings to discuss exactly what's going on with the economy, how things are looking going forward. And so then there are papers written for the Reserve Bank Board it happens every month. Apart from January, they get a Christmas holiday. The first Tuesday of the month, the Reserve Bank Board meeting, it's in Martin Place in the, the boardroom. They have a series of presentations, what's going on in the economy, what's happening in financial markets, and they'll assess whether they think that the current setting of interest rate is, is appropriate, is enough to contain inflation and have that balance with unemployment or whether they need to change that interest rate. And, you know, the assessment over the past year has continually been that higher interest rates are needed given the strength of inflation. I mean, it sounds a bit perverse, I think, doesn't it, that we have this really high rate of inflation that's a pressure on people's budgets, but the response to that is to increase interest rates, which puts further pressure on people's Mm. budgets. I mean, people are obviously stressed about the rising interest rates and what that then means for their mortgage repayments and the flow-on effects that that'll have. You've been at Mm -hmm. the Reserve Bank for three decades. I know you left just recently in February. But this last year, is the vibe, like, are you as stressed in there putting the rates up? And I know that, you you know, you're not on the board. You haven't made the decision personally. But what's been the vibe at the Reserve Bank in the last year? Like, is everyone biting their nails on the inside as much as they are on the outside? I mean, absolutely. You know, there are lots of people at the the Reserve Bank who have mortgages too. So they they feel it personally, but obviously they need to detach their personal uh, experience. You know, the fact of their mortgage rates going up, they need to detach that from the job they have to do. And I think... It has been a, a, a difficult situation because people are really wondering within the Reserve Bank, what is going on with the economy? How's this going? Is it going to continue? Um, so the, the, a lot of uncertainty leading to some pretty intense discussions. Mm. Well, speaking of intense discussions, there was an independent review um, into the Reserve Bank that was handed down. There's been some big changes suggested. One of them is to create a separate monetary policy committee to set interest rates rather than having it set by the board. What do Mm -hmm. you make of that? 
Look, this wouldn't actually really make a big difference to what interest rates are currently at right now. So it's not going to have an immediate effect. What it's more likely to do is mean that it's less likely that there would be policy mistakes by the Reserve Bank. Um, so, you know, the Reserve Bank, like any central banks in other countries, if they make a mistake, well, that could have significant consequences. They could end up causing a recession. They could let inflation get too high, etc. And so by having an expert board, which is the one going to be deciding on interest rates, you're going to get more active and vigorous debate and a more informed debate, which hopefully means that it's going to be less likely that you get some of those policy mistakes occurring. So all up, mm. I think it's a really good thing. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because if the review is suggesting an environment that is more open to debate, I guess that suggests that there was probably a dearth of that in the last few years and decades. Is that the case? Was there not a culture of open debate at the Reserve Bank? Well, that's what the Reserve Bank, the, the review, um, and the, so the review was conducted by three independent people and they were all experts drawn, one from overseas who had a lot of central bank experience, one academic and someone who had worked at the Reserve Bank but had been working in the um, public service for many years. And they got lots of submissions. They were able to look at lots of internal RBA documents, meet with people. So they collected a huge amount of information. And the review panel came to the conclusion that there really isn't enough debate and that there needs to be sort of, you know, more active debate. So what they came to the view is that you need people in that decision-making group, whoever's deciding what interest rates are, that are really sufficiently well-informed to be able to push back and question some of the things that the Reserve Bank staff are presenting to them. So you need decision-makers who are going to say, well, you've told me this, we're going to but know to ask I'm not quite right sure questions. about it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. People who have enough knowledge and enough experience and are spending enough time on it as well because – the previous, under I the guess existing, my question is, though, why weren't yeah. these people already there in those places at the Reserve Bank? Why are we only coming to this conclusion now? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So the structure of the Reserve Bank board has existed for decades, decades and decades and decades. And over that time, it sort of evolved a little bit, but not a much. And I think, you know, it was up to essentially the, the government if they wanted to change that structure. And they haven't up till this point. In other countries, they have evolved their system and they have brought more experts into the setting of monetary policy. And so, in effect, what Australia is really doing is just catching up to seeing, well, other countries have moved on and decided that they need more experts involved in this process and we haven't. So, we really need to catch up. What does this review mean for anyone with a mortgage? I mean, does it mean anything at all? Is it going to, are we going to feel the effects of it in the long term over the short term? Are we going to feel the effects of it at all? Uh, in the short term, absolutely not. No, it's not really going to change things because there are a lot of changes that need to happen with the Reserve Bank. Some of these are going to require the government doing some legislation, etc. So mm. most of it's not really going to come in for another year or so. And then even after that, I don't think it, for most of the time, it's not going to change what the level of interest rates are, how the economy is operating, etc. But what I think it does do is it reduces the chance that the Reserve Bank makes a policy error 
and you potentially have a recession where unemployment goes up uh, significantly. So I think it, it is a, an important decision to make, but the impact on people's lives is probably going to be pretty small on a, on a day-to-day basis. That was economist Jonathan Kearns there. He spent three decades working at the Reserve Bank of Australia. And I guess that's the takeaway, isn't it? What he said there at the end, that it's not going to change all that much for mortgage holders in the short term at all. And actually, this seems like more of a zhuzh of the Reserve Bank than any kind of major makeover. Listener.